0: Welcome to the rise to the challenge podcast. Joining me today. He's team USA Paralympic athlete and stroke survivor. It's Kevin Hensley. How are you doing today, Kevin?
1: I'm good. Uh, lucky to be on here. Uh, excited to talk and uh, get us started. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your
0: rise to the challenge. What we'd like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like
1: doing growing up. I am from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I was lucky to grow up in a cove with a bunch of kids my age. So we played every single type of sport there was. We played football in my side yard, soccer in my backyard, um, basketball in my neighbor's driveway, played hot hockey and baseball in the cove. Um, I was outside 24 seven as a kid and I absolutely loved it.
0: Was there a certain sport that you kind of gravitated towards growing up?
1: Um, I think we played, we, Played more football as a group of friends, but um, I obviously fell in love with soccer at an early age just because it was different. I think um, all my buddies played baseball competitively growing up, and um, me and one of my best friends went a different route with soccer. And I was lucky enough to have a swing set in my backyard that my parents quickly turned into a soccer goal. They put a net <laughs> on the back of it, and it was it was game over from there.
0: What do you feel that soccer showcased you with skills
1: um early on, I think just from uh like just a control aspect of it um I think like starting when I was four or five, I was a player that that tried to control the ball and and dictate play and find passes when other players were trying to just kick it as far as they can and just chase after it um my dad challenged me at a young age, uh, playing recreational soccer when I was five or so. He, uh, he challenged me to get assists instead of scoring goals because <laughs> scoring goals was easy at that age. And he would be like, okay, now get four or five assists in a game. And he would challenge me to use different, different feet and stuff like that. He would give me different challenges for, for games that it, it made me definitely a better player.
0: Did you like having those that challenge of getting assists? Because we know every young kid is only caring about scoring goals and stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it I think it built into who I am now. Like I I would rather give a good pass or a, a proper weight of a pass to a player than than score goals. And um I think back then I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just normal for kids to do that. Um, but now I, I know that he was challenging me and I'm I'm super thankful for it.
0: I guess it kind of started you to learn how to work as a team because that is yeah. such a key thing nowadays, especially with going into your journey. That being a part of a team is a huge part of your story, but also that corporate or incorporates in so many different industries and areas in people's lives.
1: Yeah, and I think I think from an early age, it taught me to to get involved with my teammates to to learn about them and learn how they like to play on the field? Do they like balls in behind? Do they like balls to their feet? Um, And you can learn uh, how they react to things. If they score goals, are they happy? If they miss goals, are they sad? Or if they don't get the chance to score goals, are they upset after games and stuff like that? And then I think that builds into a leadership role that I took for most of my teams after that as well, because I was able to, to read how players react to things and I could figure out how I wanted to talk to them. I could, Some some players you could you could scream at in front of 15 guys and some players you had to pull off by themselves and have casual conversations with them to get into their brain. And I think it was super important.
0: Was soccer always the main objective for you or did you ever find something else that you were passionate about or enjoy doing at the same time?
1: I think it was. I think soccer was it for me. I played baseball up until eighth grade, but uh, obviously had to make the switch in high school because they played in the same seasons. So mm-hmm. I think it was soccer. Soccer been on for me. Um, my parents are very fortunate. They took me to see some some big games. I saw Manchester United play um, when I was eight or nine years old multiple times. Fell in love with the club, um, and yeah, after that it was history. I'm, I'm obsessed with the club now. I watch every single game. <laughs> I'm soccer obsessed.
0: Was there any players that you kind of were inspired by or kind of like looked up to from a professional aspect?
1: Yeah. Um, for me, I was lucky to watch the, I played center back in 11 aside soccer growing up. So I got to watch Rio Ferdinand and the Vidic play in the back line for, for Manchester United. And they're two of the best center back partnerships and, and the premier league in England. And, um, later on i I fell in love with the way Paul Stoles played the game. He was no nonsense off the field, just didn't want interviews, didn't want to talk to anybody. He was just there to play football and that's what he loved and um I think he's one of the most underrated players to ever play the game. Everyone talks about how how good he was now, but he he was not looked at i mean he was not looked at as one of the top top players back then.
0: When you're growing up, did you have any inspirations or influencers in your life? Someone that kept you motivated?
1: Yeah, I'm an I'm an only child and um uh, my grandmother was always my best friend. Um, she recently passed in September, but she was the person I went to uh when I when I struggled um and she she was diagnosed with cancer when I was in sixth grade, and she lived at my house. Um, after her surgery, she battled through all of it. She beat it. Um, she's been through uh, quadruple bypass, heart surgery, cancer. She's um, had heart attacks. I watched her have a stroke. Uh, it's it's really crazy how much she has been through, and she was still so loving all the time. Like you just have those people in your life that. Um, whenever I needed her, she was there and she was the most special person in my life. Hands down. I have her, I have her signature tattooed on my right bicep, my stroke arm. Um, she's just absolutely so special to me. Um, yeah. And I miss her a ton.
0: Do you remember anything she told you like advice that you still think about today or utilize today?
1: Uh, I'm not sure she ever told me anything, but I saw how she went about her life, um, She never complained in front of me and she, she attacked every single day and she had it so much harder than everyone else. It's absolutely incredible. And I watched her fight through so many things in the hospital and come home. And she always was able to show uh, me and my other cousin that she loved us so much. She never had a lot of money. She never had a big house or anything, but she was always there for us when we needed her. Um, she flipped her car on the way to one of my high school soccer games and showed up to the game after that. Wow. Truly incredible person. Truly incredible.
0: Especially with grandparents, you, they lived, they lived in a different generation. So they're used to a totally different lifestyle, but my grandparents are the same exact way. They will do anything for me. They will, they don't care about, the value of money or something. They just like right. that connection and being with their grandkids and being with their family and ha- spending that time because that's, what's so important to them.
1: Yep. I, I've, I mean, I've had other grandparents that are still alive, but there's no one that I've made a connection to like her. And um, she, I would go stay with her when my parents would go out of town and stuff. And I just had the best time. She let me get away with murder sometimes, but um, yeah, I, she's, was my best friend and will always be my best friend for sure.
0: As you're growing up, sometimes we're asked that fun question. What is that dream job we go for when you were growing up? What was that dream job that you were wanting?
1: I, I wanted to play soccer professionally. I, that was, that was the dream. Um, I worked so hard um, to get there in my backyard. I mean, my parent, my grandfather eventually built me a full size goal to go in my backyard. So I had two goals in the backyard. I would, I would go train with my club team and go home and, and still work more in the backyard, even more. And, um, I, I only had that one goal. And I think for a lot of people, they have fallback plans and they have all kinds of different options and stuff. Um, I like to hear the athletes who say that that was the only option and that's what I wanted to do. And that's how I got there.
0: You talked about going on a club team. Did that kind of hurt the taking from your passion of soccer and then still living the life as a kid and not being able to make both coexist? Or were you able to live that life playing soccer, but enjoy being a kid growing up?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when we started traveling with club, I had to miss a lot of things and it prepared me for, for later on in life. Um I think, being away and training three or four nights a week and doing the extra training on the side and stuff like that it's just it's like a full-time job as a as a eight nine ten year old and then you're you're doing that until I mean until you're 18 then going into college and then if you play professionally after that it's the same way so I think it prepared me for later on in life was it tough sometimes to miss high school football games and dances and birthday parties and stuff like that yeah but truly that's where I wanted to be. And I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: When was the first step that you saw in progressing towards that dream
1: of yours? Um, I, I would say, um, my freshman year of high school, I got opportunities to play with different clubs across the country. And then, and then December happened and that's when I had my stroke. Um, and that's the crazy thing. Uh, it kind of halted my life. Um, I had to sit back and rethink of what I wanted to do. Did I want to keep doing this? Did I want to, to work even harder to get back to where I was or to get back to where I thought I could get? Um, yeah, I think, I think freshman year when I was about 14 is when my life changed for sure. Talk
0: about leading up to December. Were you noticing any changes in yourself or did it kind of just happen out of nowhere?
1: So um, I was I was in Nashville, uh, so I was in Nashville two weeks before it happened. Um, was playing soccer for my ODP team at the time and jumped up to head the ball and the guy in front of me didn't jump. and I flipped over him and snapped my neck on the ground. And I I continued to play the rest of the day, didn't think anything of it. And uh, two weeks later, I come home. I was at the park with my girlfriend. We were she played soccer at the high school as well. Um, we had done some fitness, ran around the park a few times and, uh, I come home, my parents are out Christmas shopping and I fall on the kitchen floor and collapse. So it's, it's crazy.
0: What was the recovery or the moments after, do you kind of have that recollection of what was the process like and what was going through your mind?
1: So I, I would, I was in and out of consciousness, um, until my parents got home and I I tried to get up and I kept falling down and tried to get up, kept falling down. I would knock myself out. I would hit my head on the wall or or fall down. Um, My parents came home and said they found my soccer bag in the kitchen sink, which was not the place where it was supposed to go. Um, Yeah. uh, I think I'm not sure that I was scared at the time. Um, I know my parents were. Um, My dad came in the door and and kicked me and thought I was joking with him. And he realized pretty quickly that I was not. Um, And they, thank God, they rushed me to the hospital. Um, And uh, after we got to the hospital and and where I grew up, um, my mom said she saw my arm start to curl. And my dad ran his car keys at the bottom of my foot, which is supposed to create a reaction to your foot. And mine didn't. And uh the doctors in the emergency room immediately rushed and gave me a TPA, which is a clot bursting drug, and they jabbed it in my leg. And you're supposed to only be able to get this, this clot bursting drug within two hours of having a stroke, and I was right at that two hours, and essentially that shot saved my life. Wow.
0: Yeah. It's just it's crazy how all that from a soccer game where feeling like your neck snapped, and then coming home two weeks later, it's just quickly how fast, well, I guess not fast, but the series of events that happened. And did you kind of think maybe my soccer journey is kind of over? Like, I don't think I can risk playing that anymore, because what damage could I cause more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was I was scared when I was in the hospital, because I didn't know how my body would react. And I didn't know if Um, so I had full right side paralysis for a few days in the hospital and I didn't know if I would ever regain the strength of my arms and my legs to, to be an athlete anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, towards the end of the hospital visit, I was feeling better. Um, I had been told that I had to sit two months out because I was going to be on blood thinners and it's too dangerous to play on blood thinners. Um, and as soon as I got out of the hospital, my, my first thing on my mind was I'm going to play again. And um it was mentally preparing myself to do that. I wasn't scared to play. I wasn't scared to re-injure myself. My parents were terrified, I think. Mm-hmm. Um just because I was a I was a center back, I would jump up to head the ball all the time and go into just physical altercations, I guess. And um they were scared, but I wasn't. And two two months later I was back on the field, which is nuts to think about. Um I was back playing for my high school team and uh I would say that most people that didn't know it happened, couldn't tell a difference. Wow.
0: <laughs> what do you think gave you the resiliency to get back
1: out there? Um, I think I'd, I'd seen my grandmother go through it. Um, I would seen how she fought and battled through everything at such a young age and was still able to be there for her family. And I think, I think seeing that I knew that I could do it and I could, I could lean on her when I needed some help with it. Um, It's crazy because you don't realize how someone affects you so much during, during Mm -hmm. your time with them. And until they're gone, you were like, wow, she was there for me in all these important moments of my life. And I don't know what I would have done without her there. It's crazy.
0: And especially with now you having her signature on your arm that you know, that she's always there with you Mm -hmm. every step of the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was special for me to get that. I got it in 2016 when she was still alive. So she was she was so happy when she saw it. And I think she was kind of blown away by it. But it was just a little piece of me telling her how much she meant to me.
0: With your progression with soccer, where was it leading you towards? Were you still playing at that level that you wanted? Were you still on track? Or were you f- able to find a different detour to still complete that goal?
1: Yeah, I had I had goals going into high school. I wanted to make the varsity team my freshman year, and which didn't happen. So I played JV. Um, the J V team didn't lose a game my freshman year. Um, and then the next goal was to play in college. I wanted to go to a D one school. Um my grades struggled after I had my stroke. I would have I had memory issues from it. So I w- I was an honor roll student before my stroke, had no issues with school, and then afterwards it was big time struggle. I would study for hours and not remember anything at a time like at the time. So um my grades lacked. Um I got some D1 looks, but didn't find anything I liked. Then I ended up uh, at a D2 school in Carson Newman, right outside Knoxville, Tennessee.
0: Did you still get to enjoy playing soccer, even though it was a D2 school?
1: It, um the season. The season at Carson Newman was great. Um, the guys were great. It was it was tough because I was one of only two freshmen coming in. So we. We got a lot of the hazing. We got a lot of the, the hard times and stuff like that. But it, it taught me a lot. Um, and soccer had been pretty easy for me up to that point. And I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't prepared to go into college soccer. I didn't prepare myself well enough. And it, it was a setback, and it taught me a lot about preparing to, to go into new teams and to be ready when you're asked for. And uh, I would never make that mistake again.
0: Knowing that soccer was the main goal for college, what did you go and pursue in college during that time? Uh, you're
1: talking like school wise, school wise,
0: because we know well, soccer was the main goal.
1: Yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I just took classes, um, tried to figure out as I went, and uh, realistically, I didn't get through enough school to ever figure it out. Um, I came home after one year of college at Carson Newman and um. That's essentially where I hit rock bottom. Um, I walked away from soccer because I my memory was so bad that I couldn't get through school. I was sleeping most, like, I was not sleeping at night and sleeping through most days and going to training. And uh, I had to relook at myself and figure out what was going on with me first uh, health-wise. And it was one of the most important decisions i ever made in my life, even if it was one of the hardest ones.
0: With kind of taking that break from soccer, what kind of things did you figure out? Was it, were you able to come up with new strategies to help with the memory loss or the sleep schedule, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I got on, I got put on, uh, Vivance, which is sort of ADHD drug. Um, I would take it early in the morning and it would keep me awake all day and keep me focused. It was extended release. So it, it tremendously helps me. And I've been on it ever since, and I still take it to this day, um, do I wish I would have had it like six months earlier? Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, And I, I stayed around the game. I got into a coaching role with the club that I used to play for and it helped me fall in love with soccer again. I think getting to see uh, the difference you can make on, on little kids faces from, um, from kids coming in, not knowing the game, not knowing how to play proper pass um, just different things. And, and seeing them progress through that uh, was really important for my my progression through the, the hardest struggle of my life.
0: It's so great to hear that even in a different setting worth coaching, you still enjoyed and you still got to be a part of soccer because a lot of athletes, they get away from it And they just sometimes don't want anything to do with it, or they go into a different direction and they don't like that because they wish they were still that player, still that athlete on the field. With coaching, did it ever get that feeling of, maybe I can get back onto the field. Maybe I can do this again and try. I'm different, different mindset, different areas in my life, but I want to get back out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I had to walk away from soccer in college when I was 18. So I was still so young and I was fit at the time. And um, I think coaching was was so big because I was able to mess around with the kids that I coached. And then um, I would play pickup on the side and play men's league on the side. And I knew I still had um, the ability to to play at a decently high level. Um, I think – I think it was tough at first just because I wasn't um but I love the game so much that I had to be around it in some way and coaching was the best way for me to do that um luckily I stayed around it long enough for for the phone call from Stuart Sharp which is the Paralympic head coach and um I was ready to go into camp right away when he called me
0: talk about that feeling getting that opportunity
1: yeah it was crazy because I I tell this story to everyone I I lived with a uh a baseball player that went to the university of Memphis at the time. And he had just signed his pro contract with the um, San Diego Padres. So he just got a signing bonus and we were going to go out and um, we were going to throw a party at my house. And so we were, we were out at the grocery store preparing for this party and I'm at the grocery store when I get this phone call. And, and Stuart was like, was like, Hey, uh, I read a ESPN article written about you in high school. Um, you had had a stroke when you were 14 And I was like, look, like, I I don't look like I have any problems from that. Um, My leg gets tired through fatigue and when I run quite a bit, but that's about it. And he was like, well, just come into camp. We'll figure it out. And um, I was in California a week and a half later. And um, it's crazy because my parents didn't really believe the phone call happened at first. And we were (laughs) kind of sketchy about it because we were just like this random guy's calling me and I'm getting called into a national team camp. Um, Then we did a little bit of research and we saw some video from the the London Paralympics and saw that it was a high level. And after that, it's, it's history. I, I was in camp for the next five and a half years.
0: You talked about earlier that your goal was to go pro and be on a professional team, but that being on a team USA team is similar to being on a pro team in a way. You kind of have that big moment what did that mean to you getting that opportunity?
1: It was huge. Um, to, to play at a high level um, for my country was was massive. Um, we didn't get paid until a couple years into me playing for the team. But at that time, it didn't matter to me. I was, mm-hmm. I was playing soccer again. Um, and I was playing with people who had been through some of the same stuff that I had at the same ages. And until... Until then I had not met a single soul who had, who had had a stroke at age 14 and I walk into the team and there's there's a couple guys that have been through it and I think immediately even if we hadn't known each other um, walking into the team it's like we're automatically friends and we're going to be friends for the rest of our lives just through that connection um, because we could have discussions that you can't have with anyone else yeah um, and I think I think the struggle of the stroke and the struggle that we had all been through made games that much more important for everyone. And the meaning of just playing soccer on a daily basis was that much more special for everyone as well.
0: I love the aspect of the connection that you guys had where you don't know each other, but you've gone through similar experiences and that brought a bond. Cause I can relate to that with being a type one diabetic where I'm meeting other type one diabetics and we know what we've gone through. Correct. Even yeah. though the stories might be different on when did we get diagnosed and stuff, but it's that bond where you don't really have to ask questions and you can become friends. And I feel that's similar to what you went through where you guys are part of this team. You all love soccer, but you've had that backstory that kind of keeps you together. And it's something that you'll remember
1: for a long period of time. Yeah, a 100%. And we can, I think... I think for some of us, we were able to make excuses in our everyday lives because we were the only person with a disability that we knew. Mm -hmm. And when you come into a team like that, you're a a team full of people with disabilities and no one can make an excuse. So you have to battle through everything. Um, whether it's injuries, whether it's being tired on the field, whether it's, it's emotional stuff, it's like, Hey, we all go through the same thing and we don't complain about it. So neither can you. And I think that is one of the the best life lessons that I've learned from the team and some of the young kids have trouble with because they're used to making excuses and they come in and they're like, wow, uh, these guys live with the same thing as me. And I can't do that anymore.
0: I think nowadays with the exposure of Paralympics athletes and the competition, I think it's showcasing that you shouldn't be afraid of with a disability because we're all here for the same reason. And you can see how, us fans of the Olympics, but now the Paralympics are supporting all these athletes because we want to see you guys go out there and conquer those goals that you guys want to. What was the first
1: Paralympics that you went to in that experience? So I went to 2016, uh, the Rio Paralympics and um, I had been to a few soccer tournaments with the para team before, and I went to the para Pan Am games in 2016 or 2015, sorry, 2015. So I got to be around a lot of the other athletes, but Paralympics was a different ball game and to play soccer in, in Brazil. Um, yeah. it, it was, it was my third time to be, to be in Brazil to play soccer, but the first time with the Paralympic team. So it was, it was super special for me. And I mean, soccer's Soccer makes the world go around there. So <laughs> to, to walk into Americanah stadium for opening ceremonies where so much history has gone down in the sport of soccer is, was a dream come true. And uh, to play in front of 15, 16,000 people um, was incredible. And I think even further than that, to see some of the other athletes and, and the way they go about their business and even eat food in the cafeteria or prepare themselves in the med room and, and, um, after our competition ended we got to go see some some of the sitting volleyball stuff and hear about some of the track stuff and uh absolutely incredible stuff Uh, it just to even see paralympians get through and get around the paralympic village because the village is huge Mm -hmm. and and rio there was we were on one side there was a massive ditch in the middle and then the cafeteria was on the other side and people with wheelchairs have to have to get to the other side like and it's some, to some people, it was a struggle. And it's like, wow, they have to do that in everyday life. And they're not complaining about it. And they're about to go win a gold medal in their sport. Like, that's the that's the incredible thing.
0: How do you feel you performed at those games?
1: We were close. And um, we were one of, what, six or seven teams there. Um, got a huge, huge draw against the, the Dutch in our first game. Um, Had to play number two in the world. I ran in the next game and we missed opportunities. Um, We hit the post twice. I hit the post on a free kick that would have tied the game 1-1 late. And the next game was against Argentina, which we've always had a heated rivalry with. Um, There's always someone sent off in that game or or injuries and stuff like that. And um, went 1-0 down early and then I scored and then we had chance after chance after chance and we could not put things away and ended up losing to the team, which we should have beaten. So I think, I think all in all, it was a disappointment. I think we expected more out of ourselves. Um, and we still had to play another game against Ireland after that, which is the hardest thing. Um, we, we expected ourselves to get to the medal round, even if we were the last ranked team going into the tournament. Um, that's just how the team was. We were so confident in everything we we had done. We were in residency for six months before that training every day, which I think was super important for us. And um, yeah, I would say it's a disappointment, but we were able to get a result against Ireland in the last game. So we were, we finished six out of seven teams, which was, which is better than last, but it's not as good as we thought we, would, we should have done.
0: Looking at that whole journey with the Paralympics, What is your key favorite moment and what is a key thing that you learned from that opportunity?
1: My favorite moment was the was the national anthem in the first game we played. Um, I think I think being in a soccer stadium in Brazil, watching your flag raised and the national anthem being played and next to your brothers who had been through so much struggle. Um, was a really emotional point in my life because you you have flashbacks of everything you've been through to get there Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that was the the most touching point for me is everyone had been through their battles and and fought their wars and just been through so much emotionally on top of physically and we were standing there ready to ready to go to another war to, to win a soccer game and um my parents were in the stands which was really special and I got to see them and I it was it was so cool for me just just the national anthem which is crazy because it was right before the game um yeah it's it's nuts because I I have I have different feelings about how the games went and stuff like that but it it had to be the national anthem for me
0: that is just a moment that only you will understand and live because us watching it, we're not going to understand it because you've put the time in to get to that moment. And even something that small, you can even see it in any sport when their national anthem is playing at like the Stanley cup world series, all those big sporting events. It means so much to them just because they're representing their country.
1: Yeah. I think I think it's the, the athlete's last moment to, to, get an actual thought in before they, (laughs) before they're, before they're playing and they're at home with their sport. Like I think most people would say they're calm when they're playing their sport. Like it's normal they play it every day and it's, it's something they're used to, but right before it's like, okay, um, am I nervous? Probably uh, maybe a little bit, but let me think about something that would uh, would calm me down a little bit and then let's go to work. After that
0: year with going to Rio, did you ever think, I'm ready for the next one or I feel maybe I accomplished everything. I went to that big stage, but maybe I don't need to go to that high extensive level of training and preparing and playing.
1: No, I had a, uh, I had a bitter taste in my mouth after Rio just because I thought we underperformed. Um, I thought I wanted to get back to work pretty quickly after I got back. Um, I took like a two week break and started to get fitness back in and start playing again. And, I think we were back in camp in December um, after like we had to visit the white house and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I was, I was itching to get back in and we had some new faces coming into the team that really helped us um, over the next year or so.
0: What was that next big tournament or competition that you were going towards?
1: It was the world championships in 2017. It was in Argentina. Um so the top 14 teams in the world are there. Um, and then you're drawn into groups and stuff like that. And it was in a place that I'd never been before. And I, I've i fallen in love with the South American countries we've been to just because they're so soccer-driven. And we got to go to, to Buenos Aires uh, on our – I guess on our way to – I think it was in San Luis, Argentina, which is, like, on the southern coast. Um, it, was, it was nuts just because how obsessed with soccer they are.
0: When you look back, what has been your favorite accomplishment with soccer?
1: Oh, it's tough. Um I think oh gosh. I think it had to have been at the world championships. We we finished we finished fifth, I believe. Fourth or fifth. Um we beat some big teams. We should have beaten England, I believe. We ended up losing really late on, but we get we got a result against Brazil, which was a Top two or three team in the world in that tournament um, came from behind in multiple games, just just showing the the U.S. spirit and the fight that we all had in us. I think it was I think it was a decisive moment in my career and and one that I'm super, super proud of.
0: Are you still part with soccer today in your journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I had to—I was forced to retire after 2017 World Championships because they changed classification rules. So they decided that I'm no longer disabled enough to play, and um, I would say that that was another tough moment in my life because I had had worked so hard to be a part of the team and um, to just get a random phone call and saying basically you're out was tough. Um, I luckily I took a year and a half off or so, and luckily was called by Stewart again the head coach, and he asked me if I wanted to be the assistant for the women's para team. So I've been with the women's para team for, I guess, since January of last year. Um, so I get to see the guys that I'm with teammates with all the time, and I get to, to influence and teach um, a new generation of, of players to to represent the U.S. in, in the Paralympic game.
0: How do you feel that you've played an impact with Paralympic athletes? How do you, when you are telling someone that's listening to this interview about your journey and maybe a parent has a child that wants to be similar to you and be an athlete, even if they've gone through a stroke, what would you tell the kid
1: or the parent? I think, I think it's changed uh, over my lifetime. So early on, after I had my stroke, I didn't want anyone to know about my disability. So I tried to hide it all the time and uh i think after i was part of the paralympic team um and played for so many years and been around so many of these people i think uh i think i would say now that i'm proud of my disability which is crazy to think about but i'm i'm proud to live with the disability and to to have done so many things after my disability and i think i think that's what i would tell tell parents now is is to be open about it to to embrace it and to take on the challenges, um, that are out there, even with the disability in sports. Um, I think that it could help kids all over the world with disabilities grow when they are around other people with disabilities, because I I told you earlier, the connections that you can make with teammates that have been through the same thing with you is, is the, is one of the most important things that I've had within the soccer team. And it's one of the most important connections I've ever made in my life.
0: I wish I took that same advice or earlier where I'm, I've been a diabetic for 17 years and now I'm really trying to prove that diabetes isn't going to stop me performing in athletic competitions and things like that. But I wish I did it earlier because it'd give me me even more confidence to see where would I be now if I did it back then. So I think yeah. that advice is so key because. No one should be afraid of their disability, not stopping them from what they can and can't do. But especially the connections, getting out there, going to these, now you see camps that are bringing kids together. I think that's so key because they learn so much at that age and that would start them to be more confident in what they're going through.
1: Yeah, I think the the new generation of people and it's just how society is now that they're so much more open to to different yeah. types of people and I think I think that's great and I think the camps and the the meetups and all the things you can do with so many different types of people now is great and I think it's going to continue to boost confidence for all these kids that go through this. Um and yeah, I'm I'm with you. I wish I would have been more confident earlier as well. Um because I would have, I mean, I could have started playing for the team in 2006 and didn't end up with the team until 2014, which is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you.
0: Something we like to do with our guests is really get to know the person more as we've been on this journey and learning more about your story when you're not coaching, what does Kevin like to do?
1: So I am a massive, massive Memphis Grizzlies fan. Um, so my, my parents have season tickets. Um, big basketball fan big sports fan in general but um, I like to go to as many Grizzlies games as I can um, right now we're second in the west even with all the turmoil within the team and all the stuff going on with John Morant but yeah that's that's my thing I like watching sports um, like being around sports whenever I can.
0: Are we ever going to see basketball player in you parent, <laughs> basketball? You, you never know uh,
1: nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so because you have to be in a wheelchair. So I don't think that's up, up my alley, but uh, never say never. There you go.
0: That's true. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge?
1: I think for me is uh is to never stop pushing and I think I think even after all the setbacks I've had and um all the struggles that I've gone through I think finding a person that you can talk to and um and lean on during some of your struggles um tremendously helped me out and it able it enabled me to push on and and accomplish most of my dreams so I think I think never stop fighting. And I think finding someone that you can lean on to help you because almost everyone has friends that they can help, that can help them through their struggles or a family member or something like that. Mine just happened to be my grandmother and um, I'm so thankful for her.
0: Well, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Tune in next time here. My next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full-length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.